Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get Uh, assuming that you haven't been living under a rock for the past few years, you've probably recognized that there's been some widespread criticism of Facebook uh, going on recently um, and, you know, going back even uh, even further than recently. Uh, some of it, I'd argue, is extremely justified, while some of it is not. Uh, I was interested recently to see a group of fairly prominent critics of Facebook uh, set up an organization called The Real Facebook Oversight Board, which is a somewhat cheeky parody of the Facebook Oversight Board, which is this new organization spun off from Facebook in a manner that they insist is independent, though there are some questions there, uh, in order to handle some content moderation appeals. Uh, we've discussed the that organization on a past podcast, and I've noted repeatedly that while I think it's an interesting experiment worth watching, I don't really expect it to accomplish very much. Now, this other group, the one that is set up by Facebook's critics, uh, and somewhat confusingly called, again, the real Facebook Oversight Board, is, uh, from what I can tell, mostly looking to use its media savvy to draw attention to what they believe to be bad behavior on the part of Facebook, uh, including the fact that Facebook went after them for using the name the Real Facebook Oversight Board. Uh, what struck me about this group when it was announced, however, is that it seemed to be a mix of a variety of different well-known Facebook critics from very different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, some of the per participants, to me, are uh, very smart and thoughtful critics of Facebook's policies. Uh, and what disappointed me, I think, was that some of the other participants um, have, in the past, I felt, you know, often attacked Facebook in an intellectually dishonest way uh, and sometimes would misrepresent situations and frequently not necessarily do a particularly good job recognizing why some of the things that they uh, argued were nefarious happened in the way that they happened. So to me, uh, the group represented kind of an odd pairing of what I felt were you know, thoughtful, intellectually honest critics and then less thoughtful and perhaps intellectually dishonest critics. Um, out of everyone on the thoughtful and intellectually honest side, uh, the one that I definitely respect the most uh, is Marici Shaki, who for many years was a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands and recognized as one of the most technologically savvy members of that body, uh, which could use a lot more te technically savvy members. Uh, she left the EU Parliament last year and is now the International Policy Director at Stanford University's Cyber Policy Center and International Policy Fellow at Stanford's Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. And also, uh, she was recently named the president of the Cyber Peace Institute. Uh, nearly a decade ago, she helped me present some of my research on copyright before the EU Parliament, and I am always happy when our cross path, uh, <laughs> our paths cross, and that was uh, uh, a stumble, <laughs> and that I am able to get her thoughts on various issues. So, uh, welcome to the program. 
Thanks, Mike. That was an interesting introduction. So food for, <laughs> food for thought or thought for food, but uh, yes. really great to be connected again on this special day for democracy in, in America and I would argue the world. Yes, yes. So for people listening, we are recording it on Election Day and and hopefully we'll put it out uh, soon after we record. Um, and so I, I want to start by by discussing this real Facebook oversight board. And as I said in the intro, I'm, you know, I, I have a mix of opinions about it uh, and and I'm a little perplexed about the mix of per participants. And so I was really happy to see you involved um, because, you know, I, I respect your thoughts on all these things. And I, I think you're always very, very thoughtful and and you understand these issues better than, you know, almost everyone I know and certainly uh, almost every person who has been an elected official. Um, but then, you know, there were some who I, I I was less happy to see involved in that group. So can you just explain the genesis of the group, how it came together and, and kind of what you're hoping to accomplish with it? Yeah, so the idea is to to shed light on the notion that there is a big need for actual independent oversight of Facebook. But I I have argued and strongly feel that this is a industry wide problem for mm -hmm the tech platforms and, and really increasingly almost every application of new technology. Think about AI as well. Uh, there's a growing gap between what the public knows, what parliamentarians know, what journalists know, what civil society knows and what the companies themselves can analyze and see about what is the impact of their technology. And so, um, when uh, Carol Kalawalather, I really hope I'm doing justice to her <laughs> name. <laughs> That's such a hard name to pronounce, but you know, I think people feel the same way about my name. But anyway, <laughs> when she asked me, uh, this is the, the Guardian journalist who's done a lot of groundbreaking work uh, in researching uh, Brexit, Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, money streams around campaigns involved in the UK. Um, she's the, the leading force behind mm -hmm. the real oversight board. And so when she approached me uh, to ask whether I'd be interested to join the initiative, uh, I actually thought it was interesting because, indeed, there's a lot of uh, people that I respect a great deal on there. Um, I don't know all of them personally, but uh, certainly believe that I can learn uh, from all of them. And uh, I just thought it was uh, partially kind of a gimmicky idea mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, counterweight the the so-called oversight board of Facebook, which by then had not started its work, had only been announced. I think it recently started, but it would impossibly be able to uh, review cases for appeal before the U.S. election. And increasingly, the concerns about uh, the outsized power of Facebook uh, we're also focusing around the election. And so that's why I thought a sort of, you know, urgent appeal, some people have called it an emergency break, um, <laughs> was was uh, at least a useful discussion to engage in, and that's also how I see it. So I think the ambition is certainly uh, not to, uh, or the, the realistic idea is not to sort of fundamentally change Facebook, but rather to raise awareness about... Right the need for actual independent oversight. Right. And, and, and I see that and I think that makes sense, but, but I guess to dig a little deeper, um, what, what, what is the kind of oversight that you hope there is over, um, over all of this, all sort of all of the technology platforms that we're talking about? Yeah. So I think that, um, 
more access to information for researchers and for regulators Mm -hmm. is necessary in order to understand, for example, how significant is the impact of disinformation. Hmm. We have a huge problem if it's overstated. It's it's a problem if people fear disinformation more than is proportionate. Right. But but it's also a problem if there's, you know, amplified um, inauthentic methods used or if there's foreign interference or if there is abuse of sensitive categories of data that could be collected. For example, if there's discrimination or um, if if it turns out that, for example, uh, people's mental health could be discerned from their data profiles and then could be exploited to nudge and manipulate them either to purchase things or to seek uh, certain certain help or to vote a certain way. I think the power of these companies is now so significant that we need to know what the public, societal, political, democratic, public health, public safety impacts are. And and I just think that the, the notion that the butcher can test his own meat, which is basically how <laughs> these these platforms operate, they give themselves scorecards and say, we did excellent again. You know, here's our transparency report, 90 percent right. success. It's just preposterous. It just doesn't work that way. And so we need to normalize the idea that the tech sector, just like every other sector, uh deserves to be fairly regulated, not so much because they're the tech sector, but because public safety, public health, democracy require safeguards. And I think the the notion of a tech sector is almost outdated now because technology is a layer of everything. And so we cannot have a world in which there is regulation to preserve non-discrimination principles or the presumption of innocence or democratic integrity in the offline world and then have a digital world where all those notions are kind of out the window. And so I, I think it's really about bridging that gap. And um, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a lot of policy movement no matter who wins the election today. And we already see quite a bit happening in Europe. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. So, so, but let me, let me dig in on that even a little bit deeper um, because I, I, I understand where you're coming from. My issue to date with, with that idea is that it's one thing to say that, that all of this needs to be regulated and better understood. Um, but how <laughs> is a very big question because it feels like the approaches that lots of people are taking are extremely different. And a lot of those approaches are being done without an understanding the technology, without that that data. So it's one thing to say, like, we need more data and research, which I understand, but many of the approaches towards regulation are being done without that data and research. And and while there are some that are pushing to, to have access to that data and to, to enable that kind of research, not much of it is, honestly. Um, I know, but you have you have a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy here where indeed for a well-informed public debate and evidence-based policy making, you need better understanding of how the technologies that these platforms use and that are constantly changing mm-hmm. actually work. But then you have a complete lack of transparency. And so I think it's a little bit easy, almost like a cop-out on the part of companies to say, oh, you know, politicians don't understand anything. If they're sure. not revealing anything, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, go figure. Like, how how can they understand? Right. So that sort of toxic circle needs to be broken. And I think there is definitely ways in which regulation can be, um, 
you know, proportionate to the to the need to have meaningful access to information. Right. In other words, uh, if you know a little bit about how antitrust is being enforced, mm -hmm. you have fairly simple um, but firm principles. You cannot form a monopoly, not a cartel, no price discrimination, and um, I think the and uh, mergers and acquisitions have to be assessed against these criteria. So, for example, does an acquisition and a merger create a monopoly or significant market power that hurts competition? Those ingredients are essentially the core of what makes competition law today. Then you have an enforcement body that has extraordinary mandates and powers to inquire when they have a complaint brought against a company, and this could be a milk producer, a truck producer, a search engine, a retail platform, uh, to inquire, is this a case that has merit? Mm -hmm. And so transparency then is not the front page of the New York Times, but transparency uh, in light of accountability then is that the appropriate regulator can inquire whether rules are respected. And so that kind of, you know, maybe we should term it principle regulation. Let's say discrimination is not allowed, right? You cannot treat purple people different from yellow people, uh, according to most laws. Mm -hmm. And then to, to have a regulator that can assess, is this the effect of an algorithmic process or is this a policy of a platform in a way that is usually impossible for the customer to actually figure out just because there's so much opacity and also constant change in the algorithmic settings, which makes technology platforms and algorithmic processing so different from a product that you can hold in your hand. Right. Um, but l let me play devil's advocate a little bit here um, because, you know, I think the way you describe that makes a lot of sense um, in general, but in, in, and in theory, but in practice, it's not necessarily so. I mean, we've seen lots of cases where either regulatory bodies or politicians have taken information, completely misrepresented it, and then used it to argue, you know, that, that something's bad. And, and, um, you know, we, we could look at some aspects of like the Justice Department's antitrust suit against Google right now. Um, I think that there are arguments for where you could find that there are antitrust issues with Google right now. But the actual filing by the Justice Department to me was clearly a political document. It was clearly done and, and there was reporting in the New York Times to support this, that it was done in a in a rush to get it out before the election to mm -hmm. sort of use it as an election prop. And in fact, uh, you know, President Trump, you know, used it in a commercial about how he was uh, you know, in an election ad about how he was, you know, taking on big tech and that this was like the the first step. Um mm -hmm. And, you know, so much of what what I found surprisingly weak about the Justice Department's filing was that they took information that they had gotten as part of their investigation and presented it in a way that that was not, uh, you know, not necessarily an accurate representation of what was happening, that they were misrepresenting. They had access to, to this data and then they were misrepresenting mm -hmm. it to argue something that that wasn't accurate. And so. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you how do you prevent that kind of situation where 
you know, and, and I could go back to, to other cases of attempts to sort of regulate technology platforms where you, you sort of have a similar situation show up where getting access to certain information then allows, um, you know, allows either the law enforcement or the politicians to misrepresent what is happening and to, to, you know, argue whether in good faith or in bad faith that, that something that, that there is a non-nefarious explanation for is being done for nefarious purposes. Yeah, so one um, oversight over the Justice Department, checks and balances are always important, right? Mm. But I think we have to be careful not to let sort of the, the normal process of regulation or, you know, democratic debate be considered as an anomaly or a strange obstacle to progress. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there will be people misrepresenting antitrust or even misrepresenting the technology is to be expected. Um, there will also be a variety of opinions about what the West, best way forward is. There sure. already are, right? And so some arguments you may hear and think, hmm, that makes sense. Some arguments you may think that is probably one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, but but that's actually normal in a democratic debate. But Mm -hmm. I think fundamentally that the legitimacy of democratic lawmakers is so much greater to make these decisions in a public debate with checks and balances, you know, on behalf of people that voted for them, uh, as opposed to advertising platforms, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, with with an aim of making more profit or optimally matching you um, against the uh, the ads. So it's. it's it's not uh, realistic to think that this will be a perfect process because democracy never is, uh, but it's much more of a legitimate process, and I think that that's what we need to get to. Yeah, and I and I think that's fair. The thing that I struggle with as I think through all of these things is that, um, you know, I I worry. So there's lots of things that I worry about, <laughs> um, and, and I certainly worry. I do too. Let's talk about. It. <laughs> I mean, I certainly worry about you know companies that that have too much power and sort of are, are taking over and and, and limited competition. Um, but I I worry um, you know somewhat related to that 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 many of these regulations end up sort of locking certain practices in place and certain companies in place. Um, and and so, you know, I, I've I've talked about in the past, like, you know, I think a better way to deal with the sort of size and dominance of the, the Internet platforms today is to allow for there to be real competition in terms of access to to the data and the ability to to, you know, um, to, to, to effectively extract your data from Facebook, control your data and let somebody else present it um, mm-hmm. so that you would have, you know, that, that Facebook doesn't own the data anymore. Um, and I worry that many of the approaches that people are taking to regulating these platforms does the opposite of that and basically says, well, Facebook, you do get to control all of this data, um, but you just have to report on it so that we have somebody looking over what you're doing with it. And then Mm -hmm. what happens is that it effectively locks in Facebook as, you know, it is the regulated entity. This is how social media is done for the rest of time. Um, How do do we avoid that situation? 
I think it's a good point that it's been actually happening in the EU as well, where mm-hmm. basically the the pressure on platforms, uh, including Facebook, but also others, Google, um, I think Microsoft, but also Mozilla were part of those um, discussions, were um, were kind of outsourced back to the companies, right? Mm-hmm. So basically to sort of threaten and pressure the companies to do more. And then to report, like you, you just um, uh, sketched, the, the, you know, the the results of their own regulation. And I don't think that that works well enough because then you're basically saying the outsized power of platforms is a problem, and now they have to come up with a solution, which essentially gives them more power. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's the the wrong approach. And therefore, I would say the regulatory path is actually better. Um, and it will it will probably be imperfect, but I I also think the status quo is actually now highly problematic because mm-hmm. um, the sort of privatized governance of our digital world through not only a handful of well known companies but essentially a whole bunch of companies that are also operating literally in unknown territories <laughs> right like right. developing offensive and defensive cyber capabilities or developing digital infrastructure and defending it like the the much less uh, of, of household retail names that are also gaining enormous power in the digital world. So I think these are actually fundamental questions that have impact on, you know, how public values and the public's right to access to information and um, its role in understanding how these processes work is, is getting pushed to the background more and more. So I also think it's a bit of a trap to only focus on those companies that we know well mm-hmm. because we can, you know, single them out, call them out and get angry, even though, you know, in the whole ecosystem of social media, data brokers are usually important. We never really talk about them. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about Facebook. But if we look at what YouTube is doing uh, and is not doing around the elections, it's actually really shocking. And you have to wonder why there's not much more scrutiny of their decisions. Uh, while, for example, in the, um, in the hearings last week, Google kind of got away easy because politically it, it seemed more interesting to attack Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you actually see the politicization of these, these discussions. And I, I don't think that will change anytime soon. Uh, I also don't think it's a question of whether there'll be regulation, but rather when and how. And so I guess everybody can contribute to making this better informed discussion both on the sort of how does a tech actually work side and on the how does policy making actually work side because you know i hear a lot of people in silicon valley um talk about how little politicians understand of technology but frankly uh, a lot of technolo- technologists or engineers <laughs> no truly don't quite yes. understand um how the rule of law and democracy work and it, it's both important yeah no and i, I think that is absolutely true and i spent a lot of my life trying to explain back and forth in both directions uh, that very point. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm still trying to, to I, I mean, I guess the other aspect of this that I'm still trying to puzzle out is that, you know, um, when we're talking about, you know, regulating, you know, internet companies or technology, um Again, like, and this is, I guess, somewhat of a related fear is is not only does it lock in, you know, certain companies in place uh, who are able to to sort of 
you know, manage the compliance aspect of it, but it's also sort of setting, um, setting up rules that, that, um, you know, uh, block alternative approaches, right? So, you know, when I talked earlier about this idea of like how you could create, you know, multiple Facebooks effectively by, you know, separating the data from the platform effectively, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of the regulatory approaches, often ones that have to do with privacy, which is something that is, that is very important to me, um, you know, foreclose that as, as even a possibility, um, you know, rather than saying, you know, separate your data from Facebook, they're saying, you know, Facebook needs to lock down that data even more. And so there, there's an, and, and that's just one example. I'm not talking about that specifically necessarily, but I'm saying that I'm concerned that the regulatory approaches that are, are being raised by many are the kinds of things that say this is the model, um, mm -hmm. not just for regulation, but for the technology and therefore foreclose the possibility of, you know, better, more innovative solutions that, you know, give more power to the end user, give more control to the end user. And therefore we sort of say, okay, you know, this is what social media is and this is how it's a regulated entity. Is, is there a way to, you know, and so this is the thing that I'm struggling with. Like, I understand the idea, the problem of, of companies doing massive things that have huge impact on our lives that without any oversight whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. But also I'm recognizing that it is a, a you know, a, a very dynamic field that is changing constantly with all sorts of innovation and new entrants doing different things and trying different approaches. Um how do you, how, I mean, I don't have an answer to like, do, mm -hmm. do, do you have any thoughts on how do you deal with both of those things? Because most, you know, to be more specific, most regulated entities are ones that have been around and are not changing so much, right? That have sort of a very clear, like, this is what we do and this is how it's done. And there are, there, there may be, you know, innovation at the margins, but not in the way of the sort of internet sector that we're talking about now. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of important points there. We know each other from the discussion about copyright sure. uh, protection. And, you know, <laughs> that was a, a trench trench war that <laughs> a lot of people are traumatized by. But um, what you saw there, just as a way to illustrate this problem, is that if you start to think about um, regulating technology by technology, so, for example, saying downloading of copyright protected content is illegal mm -hmm. as has happened in the past then by the time the ink is dry people are streaming and technically speaking <laughs> you could say well i'm actually not downloading right? right but but the principles that these people are trying to address namely that you cannot uh without paying some um contribution use every artist's material for free uh remains the same and so i think the question is um which principles do you put at the core of the regulation? And I would say it helps to think about the principles first and not about the technology first. So, for example, if if the idea would be we're going to regulate social media platforms, mm -hmm. then you may get into a ton of nitty gritty that may seem super relevant today, but may be outdated tomorrow just because their models change. Uh, they may respond to regulation, et cetera, et cetera. But if you say, you know, if you are found to facilitate the discrimination against certain customers, 
the the consequences will be you know significant or if you are found to have uh used categories of people's data illegitimately to sell political ads for example then there will be consequences then you basically say non-discrimination is a principle or there's rules around political ads that we want to enforce, whether it's in the newspaper, on the radio or uh, through an online service. And I think it's just more sustainable that way. So to basically be more clear about what are the fundamental principles in a democratic society and then to say it doesn't really matter if you are um, a car company or uh, an AI company. You, you each have to respect those rules. And clearly, because there are some specifics about the technology, you have to have skills, knowledge, understanding on the part of the regulators. But the idea that the principles are leading, I think, make for more um, legitimate and sustainable solutions rather than chasing the technology itself. Right. Right. I don't know if that helps, but yeah. that's kind of how I think about it. No, I mean, I, I, I wish that all <laughs> regulators uh, felt the same way and thought about it the same way, because I, I think that there is sense there. Um, you know, I, I still think that there's – and this is true of anything, obviously. Like, there, there are potential unintended consequences. I mean, I've been talking recently about – you know, we've seen a number of lawsuits, um, mainly in California – um, against different platforms using civil rights law um, and, and anti-discrimination policies, which, again, you know, are, are good principles to support. But they've been used by people like white nationalists saying that it was discriminating against their civil rights to be kicked off Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, it's like thinking through all of the possible consequences of these decisions is, is a challenge in its, in its own right. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely recognize and, 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 you know, I, I think I agree if you can, if you could base these ideas around basic principles, that is a, a good thing, but it, it does get tricky over time. Um, you know, and, and yeah, but you know what? Unintended consequences are very tricky. And I think that there are plenty of them also stemming from the unregulated way in which tech sure. is used. And so I think we need to weigh those equally. It, it sometimes seems as if we put a huge magnifying glass up against newly proposed legislation also because <laughs> citizens simply – no, but citizens have a big voice in their democracies, which is right. good. I mean, if you hear a congressperson saying something and you're, you disagree, you can call them, email them, and say, what are you talking about, right? Right. But you cannot know what a Google is proposing to change about its settings, and you can probably not call them either, or you can try, but likely nobody picks up. <laughs> and so I really wish that the scrutiny of policy changes on the part of public policy were equally, uh, you know, um, rigorous when it came to private policy. Right. And that I'm missing oftentimes. And I think it's a product of the fact that the, the corporate decision-making process and, and the impact that it has is so opaque. I mean, Google changes its search algorithm 30 to 100 times a year. Right. So even if you've been wronged yesterday, it's going to be extremely difficult to prove it tomorrow. Like, how, how are you going to right. how are you going to show, you know, what you experience? And then on top of that, we each have individually tweaked experiences. So it's really hard to even say, you know, what happened to me today? And then your right. neighbor's like, what are you talking about? I've never <laughs> seen that before. Right. And so there's like there's 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 no overview 
Right. Forget about oversight, but there's no overview. There's no insight. And so it's really hard, I think, to, to scrutinize with the same rigor what private policies do uh, versus what democratic policies do. Right. But there's, there is part, I mean, there are a few different arguments in response there. One being that, like, you know, many of, say, the, the Google algorithm changes are designed to, you know, stop bad actors from gaming the system um, and sort of, you know, putting that out, you know, for discussion has the potential consequence of just enabling those bad actors to continue being bad actors and to route around the, the changes that are being made. Um, and, you know, and, and I guess, you know, the, the, the other sort of related response is that, you know, it is, it is, it is their sort of private setup. I mean, to some extent you're, you're arguing that it shouldn't be right. That, that, that it should be treated more of a kind of utility kind of model. Is that, is that, Correct. I don't um, want to misstate your. Well, argument. no. I think it's more about making sure that their private model mm-hmm. doesn't harm right. our safety, our our health. In the case of, for example, COVID disinformation, mm-hmm. or our democratic health, which I think, you know, is legitimate to protect in and of itself. The same way that you know, sure, a private company produces a car. That's no problem. But the car does have to adhere to certain maximum CO2, um, right. what do you call it, exhaust levels. And a safety belt has to adhere to certain safety standards. And so we don't say, well, it's kind of up to the car company. <laughs> if that's what they want to produce, then that's totally fine. I mean, there, you know, there's often limits to what the private sector can do for good reason. Uh, and I think that those limits have not been balanced well enough because, you know, the, the tech uh, products and services are developing so fast and it's hard to understand them. And then they came along with this promise that they would actually only bring benefits, right? Not in mm-hmm. the least place to democracy. That was really one <laughs> of the big, big promises. And look yes. at where we are today. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we'll see where we are today. Honestly. Yeah. Well, literally, but I mean, like in the current era, I yes, don't know yes, if you I feel know. like they delivered on that promise, but yeah. I actually do not. Right, right. No, no. I, I, I And I say this that. with no joy. I think yes. it's actually tragic. Uh, but the promise of bringing more freedom and democracy was so appealing. Yeah. That people just wish that it was true, but that wishful thinking is just not good enough. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's completely fair statement. I guess the the sort of the other sort of semi-related issue on it, though, is that um, you know if if you've watched in, in particular uh, um, Republican members of Congress and and the Senate, uh, you know, they have been certainly using their you know their their uh, power i guess to you know to browbeat these companies i mean you mentioned the hearings last week and the focus on twitter and facebook in particular um you know what they are doing is very clearly uh trying to make sure that the the disinformation and propaganda that they're putting out gets shown and gets, you know, what they refer to as equal treatment uh, to, you know, and, and to, to not allow for fact checking or to take down content. And so there is an argument that, you know, increasing the transparency that way can also backfire in the same way when you have people like that who will use that process 
to to you know realistically favor their own content which may be disinformation itself and may be propaganda how do you deal with that situation yeah so i actually think that 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 whole dynamic of sort of um individual attacks on individual decisions by companies mm -hmm. are are not a regulatory approach. They're mm -hmm. a very political approach. And I think that the, the fact that we've come to this point is probably the result of, of not creating clear enough, you know, um, nonpartisan or essentially, you know, uh, compromise solutions that way. I think that there's now such a, a big shift in the United States after being completely libertarian for so long that the catch up is kind of brutal. <laughs> and it's... Yeah, and it, it's not it's not pretty. I agree with you, right. but it it is also not a substitute for actual regulation. You know, it's it's more uh, unfortunately seems to be um, you know aimed at creating uh, attractive video clips for those same social media platforms <laughs> that they're all vilifying. <laughs> right. It's a little it's a little sad to see, but it it doesn't get to the core of what the problem is. And I also think that. Again, by singling out a handful of CEOs of well-known companies doesn't get to the core of the issue that involves an ecosystem of actors. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's just symptoms of a much more fundamental problem that we see in the social media platform incidents. And I would say the more fundamental problem is the privatized power of the digital world. And that kind of private governance is, is unsustainable and Therefore, I think it's important to get to uh, democratic principles that are going to guide their behavior before it becomes a kind of, you know, big shift uh, to the other end that is going to be regulated and in a strangling way, which I right. also think is a trap. But but the sort of backlash that we're seeing now, um, I believe, was kind of predictable. Right. Yeah, I, I, and 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 I can see that. I I just you know, um, like I'm 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 I, I've spent the last few years kind of struggling with all of this. <laughs> I think a yeah. lot of a lot of people have. I right? think we can shake hands <laughs> on that one. Um, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And yeah, and, and so you know, I, I guess part of my issue is that like I, I keep hearing calls for regulation, and and I under I completely understand and and respect that that um the desire and and the 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 concerns that the that they are raising but it, it feels to me like almost every approach that i've seen doesn't really help the problem and and honestly a lot of the approaches that i've seen feel like they're more punitive right they are mm -hmm. you know uh facebook bad google bad um so we need to punish them um mm -hmm. and so you know, I, and I guess you've addressed this somewhat in saying, like, you know, start from these sort of core principles and and this idea of sort of protecting democracy um, as as a core concept. And and I get that, but um, it's there there is this sort of Pandora, Pandora's box aspect to all of this, um, which is, you know, how do you make sure that the process itself um, doesn't get overtaken by by you know, those who are just trying to, to punish or who have, you know, in some cases, like I would say the Republican Party in the United States right now, just, you know, uh, you know, 
bad intent in terms of how they're thinking of regulating these these you know these technologies yeah and i mean they would argue that you you and, and i have bad intent so that's uh, and that's politics but i think that the problem is i like the 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 focus on intent because uh-huh. you know what's what's actually kind of peculiar is that we have assumed good intent on the part of the companies for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, i think a lot of americans will agree with you and presume that actually uh facebook or google is more neutral in its intent than the Republican Party, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. And I, I don't think that they're like politically, uh, you know, uh, acting with one specific right. agenda, but rather with a commercial agenda while having enormous societal impact. And so if you have, if you optimize for profit and if you are just really good at that and that's your agenda, but the externality, so the, the, indirect effects on other aspects mm-hmm. uh, are very significant, then, you know, you also create a problem. So I think, you know, we shouldn't look at these companies necessarily as sort of silent victims here. They all have <laughs> huge armies, armies of lobbyists yeah. constantly influencing, you know, the very questions that are asked at their hearings, uh, the way in which politicians think about the issues Right. Like the whole notion mm-hmm. of regulating the Internet is a very clever frame because everybody loves the Internet. But Facebook right. and Google are not the Internet. Right. You know, and so to regulate for the health of democracy, I think, is not the same as regulating the Internet. But we've all been kind of made afraid of regulating the Internet and the same with stifling innovation. You know, yeah, sure. nothing was supposed to stifle innovation. And it's just funny because if you if you put that, you know, if you kind of extrapolate that argument, then what you're essentially saying is that innovation is more important than anything. (laughs) And I don't think that's true. I think there's many other things extremely important and more important than innovation. And so we also need to, I think, challenge the concepts we've been grown into, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in the way in which this debate has been um, held, because sometimes the lobbyists framing hinders us from actually seeing the problem for what it is. Right. Well, I think, I think it's, it's complicated in that. I mean, I agree. Like, I don't, I have, I don't care about, you know, big companies and whether they're happy or not. But, you know, there are so many people who do rely on those, the, the, those companies and the services that they provide. And, you know, we've certainly focused on the, the negative externalities, but there, there have been a lot of positive externalities also, um, mm-hmm. for, for people. And I think the concern is that in trying to deal with the negative externalities, are we wiping out some of the positive externalities also at the same time? And not, you know, not, a, and then the concern is not about harming the companies, you know, who cares about them, but about the, the people who are using those technologies and using them in positive ways. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, there have been positive effects and it's, it's not black and white. Um, and I think there's definitely uh, a way to make sure that it's not, you know, all or nothing. Right. Uh, but that's often what this debate boils down to. You know, people who, who are afraid of regulatory intervention claim that it will be the end, <laughs> the end uh, of these multi-billion dollar companies. And I just don't think history proves that right. either. Sure. Um, so well, let me just ask a, an, another question then to... Um, 
you know, I, I, I guess um, where this leaves me and what I'm trying to then figure out is like, I, I recognize the argument that we have these companies that are, that are, you know, large and making huge decisions that, that impact society at large and, and potentially impact democracy. Um, and, but, you know, whenever I dive down into the specifics um, and try and understand like, what is the best way to handle those? It, it feels like, you know, it feels like either the solutions that are suggested aren't really going to, to help the situation or, you know, may, as I mentioned earlier, sort of lock things in. And so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this situation and, and I, I feel, you know, I don't mean to keep going around in circles, but it's, this is the conversation that I have in my own head all the time. And, and, and you're, you know, an expert. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm utilizing the fact that I have you on the line to, to try and, you know, walk me through like how do what are the specific things that can be done that that mm-hmm. you know that that help deal with the the issues the very real issues that you've raised, but that don't have these these damaging consequences as a result of it. Um, and and you know that's yeah. So I would say it's 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 pieces of a puzzle that together change the ecosystem. Uh-huh. So I would say. Antitrust is a component. Privacy and data protection is a component. Enforcing non-discrimination is a component. Access to information is a component. Uh, and if you have better safeguards and mechanisms around those, I think you will already see progress on the part of individual and collective rights protections without you know, strangling to death uh, these very powerful companies. Right. Um, and, 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 sorry, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I think that yeah. that's kind of the way I think about it. So I don't think there is one, you know, make or break solution. I think it's a matter of making sure that the foundational principles of our democratic societies also apply in the digital world and that it will have, you know, bigger or smaller impact depending on who is behaving which way. Right. But the, the very legitimacy of making sure that we do what we say and say what we do when we have these principles anchored in laws that apply to anyone operating offline uh, is is essentially important enough as it is. And then there's questions about, you know, does competition law need to be updated for the digital environment? And I think yes, because, for right. example, in the U.S., the assessment of, of fair treatment is often done along lines of has a consumer paid too much? Right. Well, if you get a service for quote unquote free, then there's not really a price to be measured, but there's definitely like a payment in the form of data. Right. right? So you have to kind of adjust the measures to the new world without, you know, fundamentally changing the principles. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, there, there's a whole discussion to be had there about sort of the nature of antitrust. And, and you know, the, the issue that I've had with the antitrust approach is that the remedies for antitrust also don't seem to necessarily fit with um yeah, with with the nature of, of digital technologies. Right. You know, and, and you know, the obvious comparison in the U.S. is like, you know, when when uh, 
AT&T was broken up now that it's back together, but you know, we just did regional things and you can't do that with Facebook, right? You can't have, you know, baby. Well, and also some of them consider it the price of doing business. Like, whereas Mm -hmm. you and I would sort of, you know, (laughs) never, never survive a fine of whatever, $15 billion. uh, But, you know, for them, it's, Right. It's really calculated risk, not a problem. And that also means that the actual remedies don't hurt. But if you're a smaller player, they can be a decisive, you know, make or break yes. um, punishment. So the sort of proportionality to, to power, I think, is also important. And, um, yeah, updating both the laws and the remedies, as, as it's called, makes a lot of sense. And it also shows for those people who are concerned that we get locked in that the whole regulatory and legislative process has has a dynamic component. Uh, for example, in the EU, we have built-in review clauses with a lot mm-hmm. of laws, meaning after four years, there has to be an evaluation of the law and there can be adjustments made to it if you know, there's unintended consequences or needs to update, which I think is a very healthy way to think about it. I mean, the yeah. world changes fast. The intention could be one way, but then there could be an unintended consequence and it doesn't mean that you should be stuck forever. Yeah. And, and I've, I've called for that in the U.S. many times that I think there should be that mechanism. Though I do wonder, and, and I'm curious if, if you have any information on how well those work in practice, because the sense that I've gotten in, in, in laws in the U.S. where we've had, unfortunately, we haven't had very many that have a, a review like that, but they will have like sunset clauses that say, well, this law sort of, you know, can, can, can uh, be taken off the books after a certain time and historically what happens then is like as you approach that sunset clause people freak out and say we just have to renew it and there's there's never any serious review of whether or not the law is doing anything useful or harmful um so how well do they work in in the eu have you found that 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 having that review clause is is useful yeah i think it's useful i think it's useful and then there's also quite a bit of um leeway in the implementation oftentimes mm-hmm so um, I think that's actually sensible to say, you know, this is the principal intention of the law and then the enforcement can be flexible. For example, with data protection, I think, you know, if a case is brought and there is an alleged violation, then whether that has been done in known and, and willful negligence or sort of unintended lack of resources, you know, big apologies makes a difference. It's right. the same with, with judges, right? If you are going to um, have premeditated uh, plans to commit a crime, most likely the judge will treat you differently than if you accidentally did something <laughs> horrible. And so right. I think it's the same with, with this. But, you know, I think what's interesting about this conversation is it also touches upon the many challenges with policymaking and trust in it and uh-huh. uh, its effectiveness in especially a time where the the subject matter, the technology changes so rapidly. And so maybe it's also an opportunity to sort of improve a number of these um, flaws, right, in the process, simply because the technology points out how, how, how volatile it is the way, the way it's done now. Yeah. No, I I think that's, that's an interesting thing. And and rethinking that, uh, would be interesting. I mean, because, um, and just to, you know, we could go on forever, so I'll try and, you know, round out this conversation. But like, you know, 
I mean, you mentioned these the, the, these principles before, which I thought you know make sense and sound good, but but some of them at times seem to conflict, right? So like you know I've had issues with um, certain approaches to like privacy law, and I've had criticisms of the GDPR, for example, which I think you know came from from strong and 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 good ideas like you know the 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 concepts behind the GDPR and what they were trying to do in terms of data protection are are good ideas but the implementation mm -hmm. has created a bunch of of challenges and and some of these i think almost work across purposes so i've talked about this idea of like you know if you're um i worry about data protection rules limiting the ability of you know, the, to, to like set up these competitors that I've talked about um, where you can mm -hmm. extract your data because there are these rules that sort of force the companies to lock down their data. So, you know, it's it's one thing to have good principles to start with in, in terms of the policy making, but then, you know, recognizing that when they conflict, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I agree. And I, I fully agree with, you know, what you're saying about GDPR not living up to some of its biggest promises. Like, it didn't actually cripple big tech. It right. actually helped big tech. Right. Uh, it hurt small companies. It hurt public institutions because it's, you know, um, um, proportionally more expensive for them to have a data compliance officer and things like that. So I agree that it's actually very tricky, but, um, you know, we've spent the last hour or so talking <laughs> about why, why the regulatory process doesn't give perfect results we have not spent the last hour talking about why the status quo of privatized <laughs> governance gives us imperfect results but the big difference is that democratic lawmakers have a legitimate mandate to make these very powerful decisions whereas corporate leaders don't they have a role um that you know foresees that they please their shareholders and that they make big profits and yeah. that the venture capital capital lenders are happy and get returns on their investments and whatnot. And so I do think that even if the results are not perfect from the democratic process, and there will always be discussion about it, the legitimacy of making those powerful decisions is a factor to also really look into for the sake of preserving democracy itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I see that. <laughs> um, and you know, as I said, I could, I could keep talking about this forever, but, uh, I, I know you have more important things to do and, and I should go probably figure out what's going on with, uh, with voting <laughs> in this country, even though. Yeah. I, I'm I, curious I, too, I have... because <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. We're paying attention to here. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine everywhere in the world right now. And and I apologize for that. As no, the... <laughs> it's it's a great topic, and I I hope that you know it it helps people reflect on the trade offs yeah. that we're already making making, but often not discussing, and that will be continued to be made. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure by the next administration, and yeah. I think there will be a lot more talk about regulation. It's important to to reflect on it, and I I really enjoyed talking about it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and and thank you so much for taking the time. As I said. Uh, you know, I, I always find your your thoughts on all of this stuff very, you know, very thought provoking and and insightful. Um, and it's you know, these are the things that I've been struggling with. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to, to take the time and talk about it. So um, thank, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast and, uh, and for talking about it. And 
thanks to everyone for listening as well. Great. Happy Election Day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>